Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Yield Mastermind Talks podcast. With your host, Philip Randazzo. And it's go time, Yield Mastermind Talks podcast. What's going on? This is your host, Philip Randazzo. And today we have another exclusive, fantastic one-on-one discussion. You know, I, I, I call these interviews, but in reality, they're just very friendly discussions, conversations where I get to kind of dissect and get to understand and get to know these people that come on the show and share their stories with us. And I just want to basically give a shout out to all the guests that have been on the show because Man, it's such an incredible thing to learn from people's personal stories. I think that's where I personally learn the most, and that is where I believe everybody can learn the most is from one another. Ultimately, we're all human beings having this same similar experience, and I just love to dissect these people who have accomplished things at crazy ages and done things that people said wasn't possible at their point in times, ages, whatever the circumstances were. And today we have a guest that is no different. I'm absolutely ecstatic to bring you guys today's guest, and that is Mr. Till, and I'm going to try and pronounce his last name because I know he appreciates that, but it's a very difficult, he's he's not from the United States, but it's Till Goss, and uh, that's as, as good as I'm going to give it, but guys, Till is a freaking high-achieving guy, he's done some incredible things at the mere age of just 24, and he accomplished a lot of these things well before he turned 24 years old, uh, he just recently was married, so Till and the wife, congratulations on that, but guys, he is a high achiever, I'm going to dive into his bio here really quick, so Till apprenticed under some of the best therapists in the world and studied psychology at the University of Vienna and University of Chicago. He is the founder of Comfort Zone Crusher. Comfort Zone Crusher uses evidence-based psychotherapy techniques in a fun and playful way to help people expand their comfort zone and become more confident. Till spoke at events like the European Congress for Psychology, the Chamber of Commerce in Austria. He's done two TEDx events, and he held a guest lecture at the University of Vienna. As of this point, Till's talks and workshops have reached over a million people. He has a TED Talk, just one of his TED Talks, that has reached over a million people alone. Till, you know, it's funny, I found him because the Yield Mastermind group was doing a workshop on one of Till's videos, and I thought, what the heck, let me reach out, see if he wouldn't mind coming on the podcast. He was more than receptive, and our conversation is very wide-ranging, goes over a lot of stuff, and it's super jam-packed with incredible insight and information from Mr. Till Goss, and that's a lot, that I, I... I did it again, guys. I went for the the last name one more time, Till. I hope you appreciate that, buddy. But hey, guys, enjoy my conversation with Till. It was an absolute blast for me to be a part of, and I know that you guys are going to get a lot out of it. Here we go. You are listening to the Yield Mastermind Talks podcast. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Fuel 101. Now, guys, if you're looking for a book that's going to help give you a framework to succeed, to reach your goals, to accomplish those things you've always wanted to accomplish, to take that leap of faith, maybe get you out of your comfort zone a little bit, you know, you might be a person that isn't quite sold on personal development books, self help books, maybe you're a young person who doesn't feel like the books relate to you, you could be any age. Rocket Fuel 101 is a six-step process that's going to propel you towards your goals and stop you from drifting through life. This is one of those books that's going to provide you with a framework. This six-step process is going to help you figure out your passions, pick a trajectory, you know, launch your mission, go ahead, set those goals, go 100% at it. You're going to bring people along with you. You're going to find a mastermind network. There's so many things that this book is going to give you. You do not want to miss out on getting a copy for yourself. And in sponsoring the show, Rocket Fuel 101 is going to give you 15% off 
any and all purchases of books, whether it be the hard copy or ebook, all you have to do is go to the Rocket Fuel 101 numbers, Rocket Fuel 101 book.com. Again, that's the Rocket Fuel 101 book.com. And when you're at the checkout, type in the promo code podcast. That's promo code podcast. You are going to receive 15% off your purchase. And this is something, it's not a one time deal. You will get this no matter how many purchases you make. All right, so here's what I want you guys to do in this order. Go to therocketfuel101book.com. Get yourself, your friends, your family, whoever you want, get them a copy of the book, enter promo code podcast, and start reading. You guys don't want to miss out on this. Mr. Till Goss. I I know I'm (laughs) butchering that, but Till, how's it going, my man? I'm great. How are you? And uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. And also, thanks for trying uh, to announce it, my, my last name. <laughs> yeah, I, I did the best I could, but we are so excited to have you. Uh, for those of you listening who are part of the Yield Mastermind group, which will be a little little group of you guys, um, you know Till through the TED Talk that we watched as one of our workshop portions of our show. And for those of you who are not part of the Yield Mastermind group, uh, Till is a speaker, he is a psychologist, he has given two amazing TEDx talks, which have over a million views um, Till, if you wouldn't mind, man, just kind of taking us through um, some of the stuff that you share in those videos, but kind of what made you who you are today? What brought you to be Till, living in California, only 24 <laughs> years young, doing all the incredible things you're doing? Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, you know, thanks for those uh, very kind words. Um, yeah, so basically, everything started out, so my whole, you know, interest in psychology and then also going down this route of, you know, public speaking and creating online courses and, and doing a lot of coaching, basically everything started, and I recently wrote an email to my, to my, to my followers about this, everything started when I was 16, and, and my dad, um, vis- I was playing basketball at this point of time, far, far away from where my family lived, my dad would visit me, and he would give me a book, and that was the book Power by Robert Greene, are mm. you familiar with the book? Yes, I am familiar, it's a fantastic book. Exactly, so, so he gave, gave the book to me, and then he, then he told me one thing, and I think if you want a 16-year-old boy to, uh, you know, to read a book like a you know fat lady eats chocolate, then you have to say this thing to the to the boy. And what he told me was, he said, um, "Here's a book, read it, but hide it in your nightstand and make sure nobody sees you reading this book." Mm. And obviously, this spiked my interest. And and then I started reading the book, and then I started to understand because you know the book obviously is kind of Machiavellian, and and in this book, people use psychology or understanding of human psychology to you know manipulate others and dominate others and and you know gain more power. So obviously, you know, this book is a little bit evil. So for this reason, he told me to hide it and to make sure nobody else sees me reading this book. But then he saw how interested I was in this topic. And so quickly after he followed up with the second book, it was basically the same principles. The book talked about the same principles, the second book that he gave to me. However, this time the book was written by a therapist and the therapist talked about all those same principles, how you can influence other people, how you can, uh, you know, emphasize with other people, how you can understand other people, how you can, you know, help them change their psychology, how you can say, change your own psychology. And this was written out of the perspective of a therapist, and he used all those techniques and all those ideas and all those principles in order to help other people and to make the world a better place. And this basically, um, that's where my path got started, where I got really interested and really excited about psychology. And, and from then on, I, you know, I dug deeper and deeper and deeper, and then my dad you know, followed up later on, and he offered me to, he, so he said he's going to pay me so I read books about psychology on audio, on tape, um, so he can listen to the recordings on his way to work, right? So he would basically do something for work. He would pay me, you know, a decent amount of money. And at the same time, I would learn something about psychology. And at the beginning, I just mostly did it because the pay was very good. Yep. But then after, after some time, I got more and more interested in psychology. And then when I was 19, and um, I had to make a decision, either I'm going to turn pro or at least try to turn pro on continue playing basketball or... I'm going to go down the route of psychology and that's the decision that I made. And um, from then on, basically, the only thing that I do is um, dealing with psychology, learning more about psychology. I apprenticed on some incredibly gifted and talented uh, therapists, psychologists and coaches. And yeah, over the last four to five years, uh, I worked my way up, started to do a lot of public speaking, then started to do coaching. At one point, um, obviously also dealing with my own insecurities and my own vulnerabilities, then uh, started to figure out how can I overcome my own social anxieties, for example, develop comfort zone challenges or came up with the idea of comfort zone challenges, you know, very close related to what Tim Ferriss and the four work we talked about 
combine this with real psychological research, put it up online, and then Comfort Zone Crusher, my, my now online business, um, you know, started there, and then a whole community was built around it. And now, four or five years later, um, what I do most of the time is on the one hand, do a lot of public speaking from, you know, billion-dollar companies up to, like, charities will work for free. And on the other hand, I have Comfort Zone Crusher, which is my, uh, with my company where I create online courses and help people to become more confident, to overcome fear, and become more courageous. So this is basically... My, my last years or how I arrived where I am today. And yeah, and now at the moment, I live in Los Angeles in California and got married exactly one month ago. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations. I did not even know that prior to, to jumping on the air here. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and I mean, you have such an incredible story. And I want to start kind of at the beginning. So, you know, I, I played basketball growing up my entire life, ended up playing some college basketball. And there's so many lessons that you can learn in the game of basketball, life lessons. And so... What are some of those critical key lessons that you learned playing basketball that you are still utilizing today? So I think um, one of the biggest lessons I learned is, so there's the two things to it, right? Um, and yesterday I had a very interesting conversation uh, with, with a friend of mine here in Los Angeles. And then he asked me if basketball taught me all this drive and all this ambition to reach you know, certain goals in the psychology world. And then I said, no, actually, no, because even before I started playing basketball, I was already very ambitious. So, for example, mom, my mom loves to tell the story. Before my first basketball practice ever, when I was 12, before my first basketball practice ever, I went to the library and got books about basketball drills. And before my first training ever, I already did basketball drills at home oh, wow. um, before I got started. So I think I always had this drive coming into basketball and think this is one part why I got pretty good at basketball. But the lessons themselves that I learned, you know, while playing basketball are probably the biggest lesson is if you want to become really good at something, and probably you can attest to this as well, if you want to become really good at something, you need to surround yourself with good people. And um, I would always, through you know some uh, lucky opportunities, would be able to play with players who were older than me, who were a lot better than me, and this just often just lifts me up. Again and again, this lifts me up. Because, you know, basically I had to assimilate, right? I had to, you know, try to match their level of competency in basketball, if you will. So I always had to work harder. And, you know, so, so surrounding yourself with better people, I think this is one of the key lessons that I learned in basketball. Yeah, and it, man, I totally agree. And that's something that we talk a lot about at the Yield Mastermind Group. It's that classic Jim Rohn quote where, you know, he says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that's something that we live by. That's something that I live by. And I think... If anybody listening could take one thing from personal development in general, it's always to surround yourself with people who you are aspiring to be like or people who are better than you. Another another quote that my dad kind of passed down to me is, um, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. Yeah. That's another one of those quotes that I, I love and live by because like you, I, I love to surround myself with people who are accomplishing bigger, crazier, better things so that it's going to push me and drive me to move forward in whatever I'm doing. Um, and so that kind of is a, is a nice segue. So you started, you know, you're playing basketball, you got injured, you broke your arm and your dad asked you to read, um, all these books, uh, on audio so that he can listen to them. What, when, when did the moment shift? I, I remember you, you know, you just said that, um, you did it first for the money and then you became interested. What was it about what you were reading or what was it about, um, the psychology material that really got you interested in, and made that shift from, okay, I'm doing this to get paid to, okay, I'm doing this now because I enjoy it. So, yes, so first of all, I think that's a fantastic question. And as I said before, you know, the interest there, what, you know, I already had a little bit of an interest before, you know, when I read the power book, when mm -hmm. I read the other therapy book that gave, my dad gave to me when I was 16, I, there was already, the, you know, this, like this this, you know, the, the starting interest, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then the part where you asked me to read the books about psychology for him, that was two years later, right? So even though at the beginning I first read Power, and this really got me started a little bit and spiked my first interest, then I didn't pursue it. I didn't continue digging deeper. And it was literally two years later when he asked me to pay, you know, to pay me, or when he offered me to pay me um, to read those books. And I think the shift was the following, that at the beginning, whatever you learn at the beginning is hard. You know, because at the beginning, when I read my first psychology book that he gave to me, like I was reading this stuff, I was literally just reading the words. I had no idea. I didn't understand what I was reading. And if you wouldn't have paid me, I wouldn't have read the second book because the first, I read the first book. I didn't understand anything. So why would I read another book if I don't understand anything? Exactly. And in my mind, probably what I would have thought is, oh, yeah, you know, I don't understand it. So probably this is not where my, you know, where my talent is or my skills are. So probably, you know, this is just not the right thing for me. However, because he paid me, 
basically he paid me in a, in a way to push through this pain period at the beginning. And I think what shifted, I think was like after maybe 10 books. I have no idea. I'm just saying any number. Probably it was after 10 books or something. And after 10 books, what happened was, I remember this. This I was sitting at my desk. I was still having this, um, like, um, I still couldn't go uh, back to basketball practice. So I was still sitting there. I had my arm on my lap because my arm was still hurt. I was sitting there. I was reading this book. And then I think it was this book by Jeff Seib, this famous uh, hypnotherapist. And he wrote something. And I was like, oh, like, I know this. I know what he, re so he referred to something else. I was like, I know this because I read what he was referring to. I read the book that he was referring to. And I read the exact, it was a case study that he was referring to. And I already read this before. And this was just like such a great feeling because I read this very kind of like psychological scientific book and I understood what he was talking about and I knew what he was talking about. I kind of felt I was an inside and I kind of felt, all right, you know, like I'm in it. Like, you know, there's now a certain level of understanding that I have. And from now on going forward, I had more and more of those moments where I would read something and then I go like, I understand it, you know, and I understood it. And I also know like the references they make. So this kind of got me in. And then I just enjoy being good. I think it was the same with the basketball. I just like being good at something. And then I put this pain period and then I start to have this basic understanding and this probably hooked me. And then I want to dive deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And that going through that pain period, um, as you call it, is something that many of us struggle with. And I think uh, you, you will probably attest to this also. It's something that people don't make it all the way through. You know, we get started, we come up against the first obstacle or challenge, and then we give up. Um, and, and when I say we, I'm talking about, you know, just generally young people, you know, we come up against obstacles and problems, and we don't understand the amount of work that needs to go into something before, like you, like you share with your story, and like, you know, I have a similar story as well, until the point where you put in the hard work, it becomes enjoyable for you. So what would you say to somebody who might be listening who has trouble going through or sticking with something long enough to to push past that first obstacle to get to the point where maybe the thing that they're not quite enjoying or isn't really quote unquote for them right away. What, what would you tell them to get past that point to get to a point where they, they are good at it and, and, you know, can start enjoying the process? Mm -hmm. I think it's a great question. I think it's a fantastic question. I think it boils down to kind of like trusting the process, you know, like other people have done it before you, you know, like I've done it before you, you know, Philip, you've done it before them. Like so many other people have done it before you. So if you feel like, oh my God, like, no, this is not for me. Like, I don't understand it. It's literally just sticking with it long enough. And it's literally just trusting the process. You know, yeah. that's it. It's, it's just trusting the process. Yeah, and I, man, I totally agree with that. And it's funny because one of the reasons that, that I, I started this podcast is because we hear these types of things from people who are CEOs of companies or even people who are our parents. Like, oh, you you just got to trust the process or you got to do X, Y, or Z. And we say, oh, you're our parents. You're going to tell us that. But when we hear it from <laughs> other people in our peer groups or in our you know same age group, like coming from you, Till, or coming from me, or coming from someone else who's a young person who's out there trying to accomplish something at a high level, it makes all the difference to somebody else who's hearing it. So really, thank you for sharing that point with us. I think it's totally invaluable. And so, you know, let's let's kind of transition into you. Like, like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, go can, ahead. Can I, can, I add, can I add something? Of course. So, so the same notion, and you know, and, and, and this happens, and it happens over and over again. And I think you just have to do it once. And this is the reason why I think that you or I, we kind of got lucky with the basketball thing, because in basketball, you understand it, right? That, yep. that you just have to like con practice continually. And most of the time, once you push through this pain period and you have this reference experience for, I started out, I sucked, I had no idea, I didn't understand anything, and then I just kept on going, and after some time I figured out. I think if you just do it once, just one time, to push in whatever area it is, whether it's basketball, whether it's something intellectual, whether it's you know business, whatever it is, if you just do it once, go through this pain period, and have this reference experience for going through it, I think then you can replicate it in so many other areas. For this reason, there's this Zen story um, of this, of this um, uh, sword master who comes into the city and there's like this big party. Everybody goes like, oh my God, the sword master is here. Um, am I saying the word right? Sword? S yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, right. Okay, <laughs> so, so the sword master, and, and he comes into the city, it's a big party. And then there's also a tea master already living in the city. And the sword master, you know, wants to hang out with the tea master. And then they have this whole ceremony and he comes in. The tea master pours in the tea. It's like this whole long Japanese thing, how he pours it in and then he 
just different motions and so on. Then they sit there drinking tea, and then the sword master, as the tea master, goes like, "Hey, you know what? I would love to become a tea master. Are you going to teach me how to become a tea master?" And the tea master replies to the sword master. He goes like, "Hey, I'm sorry, but I can't teach you anything because you already are a master." Mm. And that's basically the idea, right? Once you go through the process of becoming really good at something, you understand it, or you have this reference experience, and then you just can, you know, transfer it. And, and apply it to other areas as well. For example, I started out with basketball, then I did the psychology thing. Recently, I learned marketing, and I started out at the beginning. I didn't know anything. I didn't understand copywriting. <laughs> I didn't understand all the things, but I knew all I have to do is trust the process, stick with it, and after some time, the pieces you know, will fall into place, and that's what happened after some time. Yep, and man, I... I... I'm in such agreement with you, and and I'll I'll tell you right now, you know, I'm looking at your Comfort Zone Crusher website right now, and the copy looks great, all the the marketing images look fantastic. So obviously, your work is paid off, and I think you're so spot on with that. And you're right, we are lucky in a way at uh, for having gone through that pain period when we were at such a young age, learning to play basketball, and that kind of transfers into to other areas. And I I think that's a great point. And so people who are trying new things that haven't really gone through that yet. It's just trusting in the process. And once you've done it, you understand that you can, in fact, make your own way. You just have to have you have to have the beginner stage. Everyone's a beginner at something all the time, and I think that's part of the fun in life. And as as you know, as well as I do, it's it's once we get out of our comfort zones, it's when we grow the most. And that totally alludes to, to your website, Comfort Zone Crusher, and everything you're trying to do with getting people out of their comfort zones. You have an incredible seven-day challenge on that site. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about um, what, you know, or I want to get your answer as to what you, what's the power of having a mentor and maybe just sharing with us um, a story of you going out and finding your first mentor and what that process was like for you. But ultimately, what is the power of having a mentor? Why is that so important? Okay, so you know, obviously, having mentors is incredibly important. Um, however, I asked Daniel Kahneman, the, the the author of Thinking Slow, Thinking Fast, mm. and 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 asked him. I asked him, you know, how important is to have a mentor, and he said it's important, but it's not essential. So for all of those who don't have a mentor yet, it's you know, it's it's important, but it's not essential. So you don't have to have a mentor, but obviously, you know, go out of your way to try to find a mentor. But if you don't have a mentor, you still can become successful or yeah, reach the things point. you want to reach. Um, and I think a lot of people sometimes get over-obsessed of finding mentors. Um, and, and I think in the long run, it still matters, you know, how much skill you develop yourself. And, and the, a mentor is not a goal by itself, having a mentor, but a mentor is just like, it's an instrumental, you know, part of the process that will help you to gain more skill in, the, in, a, in a faster way. Um, but yeah, so first of all, I think a mentor is incredibly important, yes. Um, and, and simply for this reason, because most of the time, uh, number one is, is direction. You know, often there's so many different directions you can go, and a mentor can give you perspective and, and help you choose direction when you want to go and which angle you want to have and certain things. So this is probably the big thing. And, and also they can give you feedback. So it's all those different things come together that will help you in the long run acquire skill faster and also pick in the right direction, picking the right uh, points where you can leverage your skill the most later on. Um, over the years, I had a lot of different mentors, a lot of different mentors, and a lot of different ways how you can get mentors. I recently gave a webinar about this where I talked about this pretty much in depth. And I think there are four different types, and I'll get them together now. Um, there are basically four different types of mentors and four different ways how you can get mentors. The first mentor is kind of like somebody who you don't necessarily are constantly in contact with, but it's like a person that you can reach out to, you can send them an email, and, and they give you feedback once in a while, right? So. Mm. This can be everywhere, uh, anybody, you know, for example, we talked about Charlie Hone before, and I wouldn't necessarily say he's a mentor of mine, but for example, he's somebody where in the past I would send him an email and he would reply to me, he would give me feedback, or I would, I would um, you know, do, do a short interview with him and thereby ask him things, right? So this is, this is one type of thing where you just can simply reach out, people, reach out to people and ask smart questions. The second type of mentor, and I think that's what a lot of people forget nowadays, is because a lot of people think about mentors, especially in the startup world, is, oh, i got to get Tim Ferriss or Robert yeah. Safety or Robert Greene. But actually, they are also most of the time mentors in our direct surroundings. For example, one of my first mentors was one of my professors at university. And it's easy to get this person as your mentor because he's basically getting paid in order to be your mentor. Yep. And that's what a lot of people forget. And actually, this is an interesting thing. When I talk to Charlie... Charlie, yes, he had Tim Ferriss and Ramit Sethi and all those people as mentors. However, his first mentor was just some random videographer in a city who was just around. So I think what pretty often people forget is that in your surroundings, you already have mentors most of the time. And 
So number one is people you just can reach out to, like authors of your favorite books, and you can ask them questions once in a while. This can kind of, they can give you direction and guide you. But this is like a very rare thing. The second thing is people in your direct surroundings, like a professor, for example. The third thing is, is when you start to work for people, right? So for example, in the past, I would, I would reach out to people and then offer, this is a Charlie Hone thing, right? This uh, recession-proof graduate, this free yeah. work, where you reach out to people and you offer them to work for free. And I've done this over and over again, like so many times. And basically, you pay them, if you will, to mentor you by working for them for free. And pretty often what I ha- had in the past was I had different people, among other, you know, in Chicago, I also had one, um, one mentor who was in Chicago. And often what I would do for him is I would do some random research tasks for him, for his company, and then I would drop by at him at his place Sunday evening, and we would sit there, we would go through the research that I've done for him for like an hour or something, and then the next hour, we would just talk about my stuff, and he would give me feedback on my things. So if you can figure out a person in your surroundings that you're not immediately in contact with, but you can add some value to them, and this can be anything as long as it you know, takes away some of that time, or it helps them to you know, have more time, it can be research, whatever it is, and in the return, most of the time, they're very generous and, and help you back um, in whatever you're doing. And I think the fourth type of mentor um, are most of the time people who are a bit older, might be in their 40s or 50s, who just like to give back. And if you meet one of those people, you can get very lucky. Sometimes you just, and I had those people in the past, um, some people when they're 40 or 50s, they often just like to give back. And if you're young, if you're ambitious, and if you show the person that you're actually working hard, most of the time, those people sometimes just take a liking in you and then just support you along the way. So I think those are the four different types of mentors. And I just want to like uh, drop it here because I think a lot of people see mentors as just like this one thing and it needs to be one specific structure, but there are a lot of different you know, types of mentorships um, so along those lines. And I, my, my first mentor, um, and I, back then I had no idea how to do this and it was very unstructured. It was mm-hmm. a lot of trial and error, but it was a German um, therapist. And... Um, I, I would reach out to him in the beginning. I thought like, you know, if I send him an email and I send him a couple of letters, probably he would reply and go like, all right, come on over. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to be your, you're yeah. going to be my apprentice. <laughs> and that's how it's going to work. Obviously it doesn't. So I re- reached out to him and sent him a couple of emails. Then I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to send him letters. So I wrote him this one page letter, just ranting about myself and what I do. And like, I was 19, I had no idea, man. And then I sent him this letter, exact, exact same letter three times. Because I thought maybe one gets lost in the mail and the other one, you know, gets, you know, the secretary throws it away. And then the third letter is going to arrive at him. So basically, probably afterwards, I found out he actually got all three letters. was very confused. <laughs> no reply, obviously. Um, and then I was like, all right, you know, let me be creative. So what I did was he, among other things, worked with uh, hypnotherapy. So I would write him a letter which at the same time was a, a trans induction. So it was basically like, like a, a hypnotherapy script. So it would be like, and while your eyes glide across the lines, you can start to notice your breath. And then when you slowly breathe in and out, you can start to relax more and more and notice how important everything in this letter might be for you. So, and that was like... <laughs> Man, that was like a three-page letter or something. So I sent it to him, and I finally got a reply. You know, finally, after months and months and months of trial and error, I finally got a reply. And I was so happy that I got an answer from him that I didn't even care that the answer was a no. <laughs> and, um, but then afterwards, I kept on going. I did, did some more stuff. And, and then at one point, he was like, you know what? Okay, it's enough. Like, what do you want from me? And then, and then I've noticed I've never told him exactly what I want from him. I just said, I want to learn from you. But that was so vague, right? Then he was yeah. like, what exactly do you want? I was like, I want to learn from you. He, he goes like, all right, then just come to my workshop. And I was like, I don't have the money to come to your workshop. Then he was like, all right, then come for free. And I was like, awesome. And then then I got, uh, then he invited me to come to Vienna in Austria to come to his first workshop. It was like a nine-day event for like three and a half grand or something. And I attended for free. And, and, and um, yeah, and he was one of my first mentors and I learned so much like so so much from him and also through the process and yeah that, that was my how i got my first mentor in the meantime i got a lot better at it like a lot a lot better at it um and now i think the most important part you know before when we talked about you know take take away one thing is surround yourself with better people if it comes down to mentors or finding people who support you the most important thing here is figure out how you can add value to them i think this is the most important notion if it comes down to finding mentors figure out how can you add value to them? And this will make everything else so much easier. Yeah, and that's a great point because 
like you touched on in your story and like similar to how I've had in my story is you tell them, you know, what you want, what you need, why you need the mentor, why, you know, why this has to happen for you to be successful. It's all about me, me, me. And then in the meantime, they're reading it like, okay, wow, this guy wants a lot of stuff out of me, but what am I going to get from him? And so I think that's a that's an incredible point to take away from this short, sort of mentorship portion. And um, now I want to kind of transition into your your TEDx talks, which are absolutely incredible. They have over um, one of your videos, the How to Become More Confident uh, by <laughs> Lie Down in the Street for 30 Seconds has mm-hmm. over a million views on its own. And then you have a Forget University, Four Steps to Design Your Own Education. They're both incredible TEDx talks where you share a lot of wisdom. What was that? What was that? experience like for you giving two different TED talks what was the preparation like I mean how did it feel to be up on stage and then how did it feel to see your video get over a million views on YouTube like uh, first of all great questions um like like I remember the, the first TEDx talk so here's the thing up until the moment like I was there and doing the like like up until the moment the day before what we do the rehearsal in my mind, with the first, to the first TEDx talk with the how to become more confident, and literally up until the moment, what was like on the day before on stage during the rehearsal, actually the re- rehearsal was not on stage, it was like in the living room with one of the organizers. <laughs> up until this moment, I didn't think it would happen. Like, I know it's weird, but in my mind, I was like, probably this is going to not happen. Probably they're going to say, oh, there's like, it's, you know, the change up in the, in, the, uh, in the schedule or something. And, you know, unfortunately, we can't put you up on stage. And, but that was in my mind, right? So literally up until the moment the day before, I didn't think it would happen. Oh man! Um, I was, you know, because it was so unbelievable for me that I got the honor to do this. So, like up until the moment, I thought it wouldn't happen. Um, but the preparation, man, I prepared the shit out of it. Like, <laughs> I think I started to prepare for the first TEDx talk like two months before, and like I, I would, I would just like what I would I do is um, I, I would just like write out note cards with all the different ideas that I had that I wanted to put in there, and then. And then, like, hone it down more and more and more. And then at the end, I just tried to have, like, this one big idea and then just, like, cut everything away. And I, I got to say, um, actually, one of the speaking trainers who is now a great friend of mine, uh, who's this whiz kid from Cambridge, um, who also gave a TEDx talk himself at one point, Clemens, um, he helped me incredibly a lot with, with putting up the talk. And I had everything the talk and the structure. However, he, because he was on the outside, he looked at the talk, and then he told me, okay, you know, leave this out, you know, switch this up. And I think this helped a lot. So I think having some, number one, I've rehearsed a lot and, and I put a lot of effort into like crafting the story in a way that's authentic, but also is engaging for the audience. And then uh, having someone from the outside look at it and say, all right, you can trim this, you can add some more there, you know, cut this out completely. That was incredibly helpful as well. And then, yeah, you know, leading up to the day, I was very nervous. I was, I was, you know, I, I've done like so much public, you know, I'm, I'm doing public speaking, um, several times a month since I'm 19 because one of my mentors back then was like, hey, you almost know my stuff as good as I do. Why don't you travel for me through Germany and, and, and Austria and give talks for me? So I would, I've given hundreds of talks as, as of this point. So I was very comfortable on stage and I knew that's something I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at. I've never, I've never given a talk in English though, so that was, that was uh, something new. Okay. And I think you still can, and obviously when I'm on stage, I still have a very thick accent there. And so, so that was one big challenge. And the other thing is, um, I was very nervous just because obviously TEDx is a big thing and, and leading up to this event. And I kind of was a bit the, the wild card because everybody else who was getting up on stage they were all like very accomplished people already. They were all, well, not everyone was older than me, but all of them were very accomplished. All of them incredibly smart and charming and all very cool people, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of my, my, like, they were not, like, the, I kind of, they kind of fought me through. So one person really liked me, that one person on the team really liked me, thought I should give a talk. The rest of the team was like, I don't know if we should get this person on stage. So I knew the team was not 100% sure if they want to have me on stage. So I kind of really had to prove myself. <laughs> this added a little bit of pressure. But then they were like, all right, we want you to have you, you know, speak you first. We want to have you speak first. So I was the first speaker of the day. Oh, man. And which, which, here's the thing, which is great. I love being the first speaker because then you just stick your talk and yep. then you're done for the day and you can enjoy the rest of the day. Um and then I remember, you know, I was very, very like the day before, but I would rehearse it so much. I knew everything single word by heart because I rehearsed it so much, you know. And, and then, yeah, I remember I was right before and I was getting up on stage. And as soon as I was on stage, I was in flow because I've rehearsed it so much. I feel so comfortable on stage. 
And I was sharing something that was so, so this TEDx talk or the second one as well, like both of those talks were, those were talks that I could not not have given. Like I had to share this. It was mm-hmm. so important to me to share this. And I, and I wanted to do it, not only for the audience, but also for myself. That's something I wanted to share with other people. Um, and also how I overcome my own insecurities. And, and afterwards, it was pretty emotional for me because a lot of my friends knew me since years and years and years who never knew I would suffer from like insecurities or anxiety here and there, right? So it was like a very personal thing as well. But then, yeah, as soon as I was on stage, it just, I was just smooth. And I enjoyed every single second of it. I still have very vivid memories of this. And yeah, I enjoyed every single second. And, and I could because I didn't have to focus on my words because I just knew them, you know, by heart. So I could literally just focus on the moment. And I could focus on enjoying everything up in stage. And yeah, the moment I got down, I was like, that was a good talk. I was, <laughs> I was, very, I was very happy with myself, right? I was, I was very satisfied with myself because I put a lot of effort in. And yeah, however, I did not expect it to go viral. I did not expect it to have so many views. I thought my second TEDx talk, education one, because I thought that was the one was more like actual advice. Mm-hmm. There's more like actual things that you can do and that you can take away. I thought, and also education is a big topic nowadays with whole like universities, um, that the price for university goes up and up and up in the United States and, and there are struggles around like, you know, the traditional education system. So I thought the second TEDx talk would actually get a lot more views. And I thought this, the first one was more like a personal private one that wouldn't get that many views. But yeah, you know, you never know what the market wants and you never know what the people like at the end of the day. Um, so when when I saw the, the 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 views going up and up and up, I was I was very surprised. I was very surprised and very <laughs> humbled. And up to this point, um, like up to this point, I'm, I'm I'm like this is like I didn't expect it to happen. I was not I didn't go up and say someone like all right I'm gonna get a million views. I yeah. thought all right no I'm gonna go up there I'm gonna deliver this. And what was important for me was like I'm gonna send this talk to my this talk the confidence talk. I'm going to send to my friends so they know how I've felt over the last years so they can understand me better. And I just hope to like, you know, get a closer relationship with my people. Basically, that was my, that was my inner intention with this talk, especially. I saw the second one, the second one, I thought this one was the one that's going to go viral. So up to this point, I'm incredibly humbled by, by the success of this talk. And, you know, even nowadays, like yesterday I had a meeting, a lunch meeting, and then we're sitting here, uh, at uh, a restaurant here in Los Angeles and then there was a girl and the guy sitting next to us and then accidentally we got their food so we started to strike up a conversation with them and then we focused back on my conversation partner again and then later on when they got up to leave they said all right guys goodbye and I was like all right goodbye and then the girl looked at me was like okay before I leave I have to do one thing and I was like very surprised and everybody (laughs) in the the restaurant turned around and then she laid down in the middle of the restaurant no way and then she got up and I was like, oh my God, can I hug you? And then we hugged and she was like, oh my God, I watched the TEDx talk. It was amazing. And like, I love you so much. And it's awesome. And, you know, like those moments up to this point, I can't realize it. You know, I can't like, I can't grasp it. And for this reason, yeah, I'm incredibly humbled. And, and seeing the views go up and up and up and getting all the feedback from the people. It's just incredible for me. And every single time, every single time a person says your talk was great, every single time it puts a smile on my face. And yeah, that, that's, that's how I feel. And if you would see me right now, I just have, once again, just thinking about these things just puts like a big smile on my face. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can almost I can almost hear the smile through your voice. <laughs> I, I love the stories and that's such an incredibly awesome experience to have someone come up to you that you have no idea who she is and, and all these people share this this praise with you about what you're doing. And I, I'm telling you, so for those of you listening, I'm going to link to all these videos and and. Um, Till's websites in the show notes so that you guys can watch them. They're incredible videos. And um, I mean, I'm almost at a loss for words because the the university one, uh, the education one was such an incredible, uh, like you said, actionable uh, video. And that's something that we watched as a mastermind group. And it provided a lot of insight because we do have a lot of students who are a part of our mastermind group. And sometimes they struggle with the reasonings that they're in school. It was just such a cool way to kind of Look at education and are you getting what you want from education? You share the four things that you were looking to get from education and how you ended up getting them, um, you know, outside and then, uh, you know, being able to apply that in your education as well. And then the becoming more confident. It's such a cool video because, you know, people like for I, I, I'm assuming that you and uh, like me, we basketball players growing up probably have. Um, some influence with our friends where, you know, we, we are friends with a lot of people and people don't understand that, you know, you still go through these personal things. Everyone goes through these insecurities and, you know, being fearful of certain things. And I think it's a, 
an incredibly sharing video from you just to kind of let everybody in on, hey, not everyone is perfect 100% of the time. It's just a really cool experience. So for those of you listening, you got to go check these videos out. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And so, Till, really quick, before we get into comfort zone crushers, I want to ask you, do you have um, any daily or morning rituals that you do on a day-to-day basis that help kind of keep you in check or that, you know, kind of provide value to you throughout your day? Yeah, yeah, totally. So every every time I don't do these kind of things, I kind of feel like I'm slack and I kind of like, like this basically, I didn't get my day started. I get up and, and it really depends, you know, in the past when I was living on my own, I would get up when I was living together with my team. Um, actually, from September to December, I was living together with my team. So we were like three dudes uh, living together in the same room um, and just like pushing each other. <laughs> and um, so at this point of time, I would get up every single day at six. Now I live together with my wife. My wife likes to, you know, watch TV at night. And then uh, I, I never watch TV together with her, but she goes to bed late. And then I stay up with her once in a while and I read in the meantime. So I, I get up at probably like 7.30 to 8 nowadays, which is kind of late. Uh, and I want to change this at one point, but then I get up and immediately after I get up, I work out um, and, and, and I walk out Then I come back in, I have a smoothie. Um, I have, I have a can of sardines because okay. uh, yeah, for, yeah. For, 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 for the protein. And then uh, I sit down, I journal, I journal probably for like 10, 15 minutes. Then I do uh, Anki. Anki is like a space repetition system. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Anki, um, you know, just, just check it out online. It's, it's, it's very, it's a space repetition system. So basically it helps you. Um, to remember things now whenever I hear something smart whenever I read something interesting whenever I just encounter anything that I want to remember I just put into Anki and then I review those note cards it's a note card and a flashcard system and I review those things every single day then the next thing I do is I read a biography of a successful person it's like a one page biography that you can find online of, uh, on biography.com a mentor okay. a friend of mine Emerson Sparks did this um, when he was young, he would read four biographies of successful people every single day. And this kind of, I do this every single day. And I think in the show uh, beforehand, you send me questions and you ask me, what would be like one routine that you couldn't live without or yeah. that you wouldn't want to uh, miss out on? And I think that's the one. I think reading a biography of a successful person every single day, just like a one pager, that's because it gives me it gives me perspective for the rest of my day. You know what I mean? Like, um, we talked about this before, going through this pain period. And if you read a you know, biography of a successful person every single day. And what happens is like you read this stuff and then you see what they did in their twenties and you see what they did in their twenties was they accumulated skill. They did not build empires yet. Most of them, at least not even some very, very successful people, 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 well, even some very successful people <laughs> in their twenties just worked and just learned and just were grinding. Um, and, and, and this gives me always perspective and, and, and helps me to understand once again, that I'm still in this pain period that I still have to push through it and still learn more than I actually deliver um, because that's what your 20s are for, that you actually like build the portfolio and build the skills and build the uh, build the knowledge then in order to execute in your 30s later on. Yeah. That's what I believe. So um, so yeah, that, that's, that's basically what I do and then I'm done with this and then I start my day and usually I start off with writing right now because um, that's what I do at the moment most of the time. And yeah, that's, that's basically my daily routines. And then I got one more thing um, and I think everybody who's in a relationship should consider this. Me and my wife, we tell each other every single day what we're grateful for, even on days where we hate each other because somebody did something stupid, and most of the time that's me. Uh, most of the time it's stupid. Uh, we tell each other every single day what we're grateful for in the other person. I think, man, that's such a, an awesome practice to make a habit. That's something that my girlfriend and I do at night. At the end of the day, we you know, turn, hey, what were two things that, that happened today that were really awesome? And I think it's an incredible practice. I, I personally do a lot of the things that you just recommended. I am going to pick up um, that reading, those one-page biographies. I think that's, man, it's such an incredible practice because you're so right. We get caught up in these things like we want to be have these empires and be uber successful and we're only in our earlys, even mid or late 20s and that's just not where a lot of these people started and and you're right it gives such perspective to see that these people like ben franklin or edison or whoever they were still honing in on their craft when they were young and that the success will eventually follow i think that's an incredible thing that people definitely need to do so we'll be linking to all this stuff in the show notes um so till That brings us now to Comfort Zone Crusher. This is the last thing we'll talk about before we get into the rapid-fire portion of the show here. But just share a little bit about what this this community is, what you're looking to do, and uh, how people can get plugged in to, for instance, something like the 7-Day Challenge that's really going to help them get out of their comfort zone. Yes, so so, um, Comfort Zone Crusher, the beginning in in, in the TEDx talk, I talk about this. 
when I was 21 or 20, I, I, I know I was already kind of successful. I was doing a lot of public speaking. I was giving a lot of workshops and I was already on my way, right? However, I've noticed that there were a lot of moments, especially like events, like bigger events and conferences where I would get kind of shy or insecure or anxious and I wouldn't do the things that I wanted to do. So I would see a person and I wouldn't have the courage to talk to them. I would see, you know, like a speaker and I wouldn't have the courage to walk up to them. And that's something I've noticed over and over and over again. And I didn't want to have this anymore because even though I was on my way and becoming more successful, I've noticed if I would find a way how to overcome, you know, this anxiety and this fear, I could like progress so much faster. And I also would have so much more fun in my life because I would meet more people that are interesting and fun and cool. And I also worried so much what other people might think about me. Um, and this often led me to, you know, behave in certain ways to fit in instead of doing the things that I thought were right. Hmm. Um, and then I decided, hey, how can I overcome this? And, and accidentally kind of I stumbled upon Tim Ferriss for a work week. And in this for a work week, he talked about comfort challenges. Um, and, and that's what I read. And that's the first challenge is called the lay down challenge, where you just lay down the street for 30 seconds. And, and I pondered this a couple of times. And then one point I said, hey, you know what, I'm going to do it. And then I did my first challenge in my TEDx talk. I, you know, talk about how I did my first challenge. Sort of very vivid memories of this, and <laughs> and that's basically what got started. And I've noticed by and then I also looked into the psychological research behind this. And there's something called exposure therapy. And exposure therapy basically means the following: that sometimes in our mind we are afraid of things because in our mind fear is nothing else than anticipated pain. Let's say, for example, you are at a, you are at an event. You want to talk to a person and you start to get afraid. Why are you afraid? Because in your mind, you imagine you would talk to the person, the person would reject you. And this rejection is emotional pain. So you're afraid of the pain. In order to overcome your fear, what you need to do is you need to put yourself in the situation that you scare and that, that you fear. And by doing this and by putting yourself in the situations, you most of the time you notice one or two things. Either you notice, oh my God, you know, you talk to a person and they don't reject you. So you notice, oh my God, nothing bad actually happens. So there's no reason to be afraid. Or the other thing happens, yes, you do get rejected, by, but it is by far not, not as painful as you expected it beforehand. Mm. So by putting yourself in situations that, that, that scare you over and over and over and over again, what happens is you learn, hey, actually, there's nothing to be scared of about. And um, thereby you, you can become a lot more, you know, you can become, become free and not be held back by your fear anymore. And I did this a lot in social settings, like, for example, I often cared what people think about me. So I would do funny and ridiculous things in public, like laying down on the floor, stretching my arms, walking down the street, or howling like a wolf in public transportation. And by doing <laughs> the things over and over again, and having those people look at me and think like I'm, look at me like I'm crazy, thereby I, you know, step by step cared less and less what people thought of me. And also in this, I could, you know, this once again, is a reference experience for I'm scared of something. I do it. Nothing bad happens. And then I could use this in different contexts, like, for example, uh, you know, a conference. And I would see a person I knew, oh, I'm scared right now. But I had those reference experiences from the past where I would be scared. I did it. and Nothing bad happened. So then I had the courage to walk up to people. And that's how it started. And then I did it with my friends and I taught them how to do comfort zone challenges. Um, I did it with my coaching clients, with my seminar attendees. And then at one point, one of my seminar attendees was like, hey, you know what? It was kind of like a back and forth conversation. He was like, hey, why not? Let's put it up online because he was a programmer and then we put it up online. And at the beginning, the idea was never to start a business. The idea was more to just reach more people with it and help more people to overcome their social anxieties and their nervousnesses. I put it up online with a couple of days literally. We had hundreds and hundreds of signups. So it really hit wow. a nerve with people. Um, and then it took off from there. In the beginning, I really scrambled and I thought we're going to create an app and these kind of things. And then I figured, right, you know, the best thing to do it is to, to shoot videos because, and to show the people how to do it so they can see me doing it first and see that nothing bad happens. And then we created all those videos where the comfort zone challenges, we'll put it up online again. Um, and we amassed more and more followers, had a little team around me. And then based on this, because this movement was created around the world, then I got asked to do the TEDx talk and then the TEDx talk took off. And with this conference, of course, also uh, took off even more. And then at one point, people were like, hey, you know, why don't you have like a structured program? Like something that we can really follow step by step. And I was like, hey, why not? And then I decided, um, and also because I had to pay all the, you know, server bills and so on. I was like, hey, why not create a paid online course 
um, because I knew also knew the, the literature or the research around it. If people pay for something, a lot more committed and willing to actually follow through because now, now they invested something. Yep. So yeah, then I created my first online course. It's called Make Yourself Do Anything. And on the one hand, it's over 25 different comfort zone challenges where I'm actually in downtown Chicago. I can send you a couple of videos. I'm actually in downtown Chicago doing dozens and dozens of different comfort zone challenges um, from you know talking to people or asking questions over you know asking to get things for free uh, over hugging people and yelling around and stretching my arms or singing in public and dancing in public and doing all those different things and overcoming my own um, you know my own obstacle once again on camera live where people can can, can see me. <laughs> so this on the one hand and on the other hand, over the past couple of years, I looked over and over again into how can you overcome fear on an internal level? So what are like the internal strategies and techniques you can apply to deal more effectively with fear, anxiety, nervousness? How can you appear more confident? And among other things, in order to come up with those strategies and techniques, me and a friend, we did a research trip end of 2014, and we hitchhiked to South America and the United States for over two months and interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people about fear and courage. So all those things, you know, I put them all together, what I've learned there over the last couple of years, put them together in this course, make yourself do anything. And that's literally, if you want to become more confident, if you want to learn the techniques, how to internally control your fear and like control your arousal, look more confident, feel less nervous, like then, you know, that's the course that I created for this. And, and so far with hundreds and hundreds of people going through this course with stunning success. Um, and I think this combination of the one hand, doing the comfort zone challenge where you actually have to go out and do something in the real world. After I give you an example of how I did it, Plus, together with all those different techniques that you can apply in a ton of different moments and directions and in situations, I think this together was very, very powerful. And yeah, and for this reason, so many people in the past went through the course with stunning success. And you know, that's what I do at the moment, right? Um, Comfort the question turned step by step over the last year, um, or last 10, 10 months, if you will, into a pretty flourishing online business. And so far, we own a way like close to 20,000 people who went through our free courses and paid courses. And the easiest way to get plugged into the community is, and that's a big thing because there's also community. So the easiest way to get plugged, plugged into this is by going to our website, comfortablecrusher.com, and then you sign up and you get a free seven-day challenge. So for seven days, every second day, you get a free video of a comfort zone challenge. And I also share a couple of my favorite techniques, how you can, one, one technique, but my, far my favorite techniques, the mirror technique, where you can literally make yourself do anything and boost your courage with the seconds to really give you this push over the edge where you can you know, walk up to a person, talk to somebody, or you know, do whatever scares you. Um, and that's probably one of the best ways to, to, to uh, get plugged into the community. There's also been a link to the Facebook group. And in the Facebook group, I think are close to 7,000 people now from all around the world. And, and those people support each other and encourage each other to do those challenges and they help each other so they, they can ask questions about confidence and fear and so on. And also what happened uh, or what we put up Four or five months ago, our local communities, so as of this point in 15 different cities around the world, we also have local communities where people come together once a week, do challenges together, and do some personal per, person development work together all around the world. That's incredible. Man, it, we, I, we'll get that list of the, of the cities where these communities are popping up. We'll share that with uh, the Yield Mastermind group and everyone who's tuned into the podcast so they can find out if there's one in a city near them. So, Till, really quickly, um, what are you most excited about right now? What's coming next that has you the most pumped up? Man, that's an awesome question. So, right now, what I decided was I created my first course, I marketed it, um, and now the business is going great. And we have so many people coming in. We already serve a lot of people. And what I've noticed so far, I had to make a decision. And a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs and marketers, and they were like, all right, what you have to do now is do more marketing, reach more people, right? And I internally really struggled with this. And last month, I gave a lot of thought, and I decided, you know what, I'm not going to make comfort zone question currently much bigger right now. Instead, I want to go back to learning so that in the long run, I can serve other people more. So what I'm doing right now is for the next year, I'm you know, going back to becoming a student, not a university student. But once again, I'm learning as much as possible. So I have this I design my curriculum, which is basically very close to what you would learn if you uh, do a PhD or a therapy training. So right now I'm really back to studying and back to learning. And I'm attending a ton of workshops. I'm, I'm seeking out mentors once again. Um, I'm reading a ton of books. So right now I'm full on in study mode. And then in one year from now, I'm going to come up with a new online course and hopefully um, it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people. And there, I'm really going to dive deep into the topic of social anxiety and really hopefully solve social anxiety for this very ambitious goal. I know uh, hopefully solve social anxiety for people in their 20s. I want to create a course that's very relatable, that's cheap, 
and that is but also very well researched with a lot of in-depth knowledge in there that will help people to really overcome social anxiety. Fantastic. We will be keeping all of you listeners up to date on that new course and everything that Till's up to before it comes out. So Till, let's dive into these rapid fire questions here. So when you think of success, who is the first person that comes to mind? Man, here's the thing. I've read those questions before. So I don't know if this is the first person who came to mind. However, the person that comes to mind will think about success is Milton H. Erickson. Milton H. Erickson was a very, very famous therapist uh, in the last century, he's basically the father or the grandfather, if you, if you will, of all or like most of modern therapy forms. And, and I picked him because he comes from like a very small town or village in Wisconsin. And he he never strives to be successful in terms of like worldly success. All that he did for literally 80 years that he lived every single day, he would see patients like six to seven times a week from like eight in the morning to eight at night. And he would dedicate all his time to just honing his craft and becoming really a master of therapy. And at the end, he achieved a lot of success and he became quite famous. And people like Tony Robbins, like Tony Robbins, probably the most famous example, who are hugely influenced by him. And a lot of stuff that Tony Robbins does is to 80%, and he admits it, he's, it's to 80% based on the work that Milton Erickson did. So Milton Erickson, he just focuses relentlessly on becoming the best therapist he could be. And he just dedicated his entire life to mastery, working incredibly hours, was um, and, and just like honing his craft over and over again. And, and that's something I'm incredibly impressed by. So he's probably the one person that I would say, you know, really defines successfully. Fantastic. And so, Till, when, uh, what's the one book that you've gifted the most or what's the one book that you recommend that people read the most often? Yeah, it's Cal Newport's So Good They Can't Ignore You. I've, g- I've given this book away probably like 25 or 30 times. It's by far the best book I've ever written uh, ever read, ever read, ever, ever read, I've, I've not written, but I've ever read on career advice. Kelly was so good, they can ignore you. Awesome. We will be linking to that in the show notes. So, Till, what is the one online resource, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's a, a YouTube channel, etc., that you recommend that other people tune into? Um, I think the Tim Ferriss podcast is really good. You're, man, it's fantastic. It's really good. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So we and you, you've already answered the question earlier about uh, if you could only do one part of your daily routine for the rest of your life, what would that be if you couldn't do any other parts? And you said the uh, the reading of the biographies, the one page biographies of people. And uh, man, I think that's an incredible answer. So Till, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Um, yeah, comfortzonecrusher.com. I think we're going to link it in the show notes as well. Um, I'm actually not on social media at all. I kind of stepped away from Instagram and and, and Facebook as much as possible, and also Twitter. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, if, if you sign up for my email newsletter, or, you know, it's a seven-day challenge, I'm going to send out email there regularly. Um, so that's probably the best way to stay in touch. And also, I'm always happy if people send me emails. I'm always happy to reply and, and, and give feedback or advice whenever possible. So that's probably the best way to stay in touch. Fantastic. All right, Tilled, man, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And we always end the show with our guests sharing one of their favorite quotes. So Till, what is that quote for you? Um, I, I think it's, it's kind of cheesy, I know. However, it is, uh, <laughs> it's probably the quote, the Mark Twain, you know, supposedly Mark Twain quote. Uh, in 20 years from now on, you're going to regret more of the things that you haven't done than those that you have done. Um, and then the quote continues. But um, I just know the German version of the quote, so I don't know the English version, uh, how it continues. So this is probably my favorite quote, and, and that's something I try to live by. This, this constant reminder that at the end of the day, um, you know, we worry so much about what people think about us and these kind of things. But at the end of the day, what really matters is what you do with your own life. And um, and I think, you know, pushing harder, pushing boundaries, stepping out of your comfort zone, I think this is what really makes one happy or this is what really makes me happy. It's not necessarily achieving certain things in the external world, but really, you know, growing the person as much as possible. And this, you know, comes about by trying to push your own boundaries over and over again and then trying all kinds of different things and, you know, doing the things that you really want to do. What a fantastic way to end the show. Till, man, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. If you guys enjoyed that episode, please let us know. Find us at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We're going to be at Yield Mastermind on all those platforms. Check out our website, yieldmastermind.com. You can find us on 
iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those platforms. Please reach out to us. Let us know if you like the show. Let us know if you're loving the content. Please write us a review on iTunes if you feel the desire to. We really appreciate hearing from our audience and really understanding if you guys are loving what you're hearing or if you guys would like to hear something totally different. We're always open to that stuff. Thanks for listening. We hope you are enjoying this show as much as we are, and we can't wait for you guys to tune in next time.